Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Let's turn over to that very popular Easter passage, uh, Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. You follow along if you would like in your Bibles or on your device. It says, from Mount Or, they, that's the Israelites as they're traversing the wilderness, looking for the promised land, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment and remind us that Edom is the land of the descendants of Esau. And if you remember, Esau and Jacob, who gave birth to the Israelites, absolutely hated each other. It was over the birthright, if you remember. Uh, Jacob ended up tricking Esau several times in their life and uh, taking what rightfully belonged to Esau, but now it belongs to to Jacob. And now Jacob gives birth to a nation, and Esau gives birth to a nation, and these two nations hated each other, rivaled each other, and most of it had to do with the promised land. Now, Israel knows that they are in the final days of going into the promised land, and that's, that's in fact, where they are headed. And because of that, at any time, the next step is going to be into the promised land, and they just finished with a war a war in which they won handedly. And they asked God if they would please win the war, and they did. And they are exhausted, and they are fatigued, and they are frustrated. And so to think about going into this land of prosperity, this land of blessing, and having rest, to to think about having to encounter Edom on top of that, you know what, we're going to take the long way around. Now, I'm sure there was some discussion about should we take the long way or is God going to really bless us and we'll just beat Edom too? Uh, I'm not sure how all that conversation took place. But just to give a real context as to why they would take the long way around, it's important to note. Now, just like many of you, when you decide to take the easy way or the long way around some trouble in your life, sometimes you regret it. And Israel regretted it. And they regretted it because they were also fatigued physically and they were tired and they were drained. And this trip would not stop. So just so you know. And the people became impatient on the way. It's because they were so tired. And, they, and the people spoke against God and against Moses why, are you, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Remember, God was providing for them manna and had just provided for them quail. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Now get this. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. 
And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Israel's been trekking the wilderness for almost 40 years. They've washed in and out of discouragement. And this, this whole God's brought us out here to kill us routine is, is quite tired. They, anytime they don't get their way, that's, you know, it's all God's fault. and He's just out to kill us anyway. But at this time, they are tired, they are frustrated, they are discouraged. Now listen, this is a very, very dangerous combination of emotion. When we are not full spiritually, when we are not content with God's purpose and plan in our life, and when we are not encouraging ourselves in the Lord, we will begin to grow critical of everything and complain about everything, a real Eeyore, if you will. When you find complaint in your life, in your mind, and you cannot or will not Control it. It is always either coming from a spiritual problem or leading into a spiritual problem. You're not being spiritually renewed. You're, you're allowing the world to frustrate you or not encouraging yourself in the Lord. Now, this is Israel's last complaint story that we read about in Numbers. The people are speaking against God, but they're blaming Moses for it. Moses was the leader that the Lord had chosen, and so they were subsequently rejecting him too. The Lord had constantly, consistently provided food miraculously, and yet the people called it miserable. In fact, they said, the Lord is not providing any, there's no food here. Well, yes, there is. Every morning there is food there. It's just not the food you want but it is the food you need. They were, in essence, saying that God doesn't really care about us. God doesn't want us to have the things that we need. They were substituting in their minds, like many of us do, that sometimes we, the things we want become the things we need. And if you don't care, if God doesn't care about them and he doesn't care about the care of them, they felt that they knew better about what they needed. And so what they wanted was taking precedence over what God wanted in their life. What they wanted was taking precedence over what they needed. And they got into their own head and they started telling themselves things that wasn't true. And it began to poison everything about their life. And they got in their own head, and now it's coming out their own mouths. It reminds me, this whole story kind of reminds me of a a truth I learned as a child. You want to whine, and you want to grumble, and you want to complain. And I don't know, maybe many of you didn't experience this, but I had a mother who would say, I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) How many of you have ever heard that before? I'll give you something to cry about. It just means I don't value what you're crying over. And that's what the Lord does here. You want to cry and you want to grumble and you want to complain? I'll give you something to cry about. And it straightened them up pretty quick. So the Lord sent venomous snakes among the people. 
Some versions uh, say the snakes were fiery. Uh, That word's a really odd word in Hebrew. It could either mean fiery as in burning, like perhaps the snake bites created this burning sensation through the entire body, which seems very plausible. That word fiery also could mean like a copper color, like a red. So what kind of burning, we don't know. What kind of pain, we don't know. But maybe they were copper colored. Who knows? It doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, But this could refer to to either one of those things. But the Israelites recognized pretty quickly that the snakes were in response to their complaining. And so all of a sudden, they had a change of heart. Sometimes pain will do that. So they came to Moses and they confessed that they were wrong. But I want you to note this. I want you to note that they confessed that they had grumbled and complained about God. They tell Moses that, but they also are letting Moses know that we were also wrong with you. You know, sometimes I don't know that we can be right with God if we know that there are people in our life that we're not right with. I think this is a really good illustration that even the people of Israel knew that if it's up to us, we need to right wrongs before we can. Jesus later says, if someone comes to offer a sacrifice by the Lord, then you remember that you got odd against your brother. You need to go fix that first. And that's what Israel is doing. So Moses inquires of the Lord and is instructed to make a bronze snake and mount it on a pole. Seems like a really strange request, especially since the request was take the snakes away. Rid us of the snakes. Go back and look. This is what they asked Moses to do. Tell God to take the snakes away from us. But the Lord doesn't take the snakes away. The Lord provides something even better. He provides a healing in place of the pain. He provided a cure, but the snakes remained. It's interesting that the Lord chose this symbol because the snake uh, or the serpent was a symbol associated with evil and sin. Those who had been bitten and were recognizing their pain and their impending death were told to look at this bronze serpent and be healed. You see, God didn't just rid them of the problem. The group didn't just receive group healing. Instead, he says, every individual who is willing to look at the serpent, look at the snake, would be healed. This is where we get the term, look and live. If you will look at the symbol, you will live. It's an interesting remedy for sure. It's not one I think that I would probably carve out. So when we say, you know, snake, most people recoil, right? A little. If we, if we shout snake, people scream. It goes all the way back to the beginning, right? In, I don't know if it's created into our DNA or not. Uh, Eve felt pretty comfortable around the serpent, had a conversation with this serpent. It seems like ever since then, we've not had a great relationship with serpents and snakes. And so if you remember that encounter with Eve, uh, you know, well, I think there's a, a draw to, the, to this, to this uh, uh, story here. She was tricked by one. She was cursed. And it seems from that point on, fear is inherent with mankind towards snakes. Snakes are typically associated with evil. So why would God choose a snake and associate it with healing in our life? Because we know the snake is not itself not what brings the healing, right? God does. But the snake does represent the thing that brought them to this place, their sin. And every time they look at that snake... On that cross, 
They were to remember the sin, damage, the pain that was induced into their life because they wanted their way and not God's. So when we recognize our sin and trust our healer, we too will be healed of our spiritual snake bite that struck us from the beginning and has been striking at us every day, bringing us to a slow, agonizing death. But see, the problem is, is in this world, we can kind of distract ourselves from that painful, agonizing death. We can turn the radio up a little louder, turn the TV on to a thousand different stations. We can get involved in all sorts of social activities and fill our calendars completely full and kind of numb ourselves from that painful, agonizing snake bite. Refuse to look at the symbol and live. Rather, we complain and grumble, demand, hate God's care, hate God's provision, hate God's people, hate God's direction. But as God's people, we should look at those with care and I think in a lot of ways see them as bitten ones and dying and raise that symbol into view. Well, the snake must have continued to be a problem in their life. And it continued to uh, ravage them for some time because they continued to use this pole for generations. They, they, they valued it. They carried it around with them. Everywhere they moved, the pole went with them. And uh, it's kind of interesting. They called it the uh, Nehushtan. And actually, that word just means a type of brass. That's all that it means. Uh, we don't hear about this bronze serpent again for 850 years. Now, that's a long time to keep a pole that saved you that many generations ago. But it seems that this pole was actually used in idol worship for God's people. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, it talks of King Hezekiah. It says, He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel burned incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. King Hezekiah, the great revivalist of his day, Broke it into pieces because the people were burning incense to it. That object of healing, that object that reminded them of sin had become an object of their sin. And Hezekiah said, and that thing, that piece of brass, I remember just not long ago in a trip that we took to the Ivory Coast and during one of the teaching times that I had with the pastors, the pastor of the, the local church there in that village uh, asked us if we would pray over a lady. And of course we agreed uh, and, and he went and got her and, uh, and brought her back in and set her in the middle and he said, I'm not sure what's going on with her, but she's lost her mind. Either it's a mental problem or she's demon possessed. I can't tell the difference. And, and he began to go through her purse and to pull out all of these fetishes that would have taken over her, her mind. And, and I, it's, it's funny to me because the things he were pulling out, I thought, 
I don't know how, I mean, I know it's their culture. I don't know how he would know what's a fetish and what's that, you know, it's kind of like a charm or something that you ascribe deity to. And uh, he pulls out all of these seashells. Now we're in the Ivory Coast. No seashells, right? Zero, zilch. It's a dry and deserted land. And he pulls out these seashells and everything he pulls out, he makes fun of in their language. And, uh, and it's really weird. It's really, I just like, what does he, what does he do? So he takes these seashells, he pretends that they're dice and he rolls them. And, I, and what is it? Everything that he uses, he, he pulls out, he starts making fun of it. And when I was reading this, I thought, this is exactly what Hezekiah is doing. He is making fun of that symbol of worship that actually has control over people. And so when he gets to the Nehushtan, he looks at it and he says, at that I mean, they're burning incense to it in that moment. He says, get rid of that piece of brass. It's nothing but a piece of brass. Why are we worshiping it? It's because we love to worship things that remind us of things that had power in our life at one time. And it doesn't take us long. If you want to know why we can't find the ark and why we don't find the ark of the covenant and why we don't find all kinds of historical proofs, and there are enough to prove it, But why don't we have the things? Why can't we find the Ark of the Covenant? Why can't we find the Holy Grail? Why can't we find the Ten Commandments or Aaron's Rod? I'll tell you why. We'd be worshiping incense to it. We don't need that. So going back to Israel. The precedent was set, and it continues to this day. Whatever it is that you lift up in your life, Whatever you elevate, that you will worship. If you draw hope from it, you will worship it. So here's what I would like like you to write down and to be very, very careful with. What you worship, you always worship what you raise. You worship what you raise. God called them to look at it and to remember him but they elevated it and they took their eyes off the Lord. Okay, hard shift over to John chapter three, verse 14. John chapter three, verse 14. Jesus is uh, talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus has come at nighttime so that no one would know that he's having this conversation with Jesus. He is a Pharisee that's very intrigued by the teachings of Jesus. And in verse 14, Jesus said to him, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So here Jesus parallels himself to the bronze serpent on a pole. Just as the serpent was lifted up on the pole, Jesus would be lifted up on a cross and anyone who looks to him will be saved. That is, have everlasting, eternal life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. The Bible talks about our sin going to Christ while he was hanging on the cross. Jesus became the symbol of God's wrath in that moment. Just as the serpent 
on the pole became a symbol of the sin of Israel's people. So Jesus became the object of every sin imaginable, every sin from all time. Jesus took credit for it. Now it's one thing that Jesus actually sinned to get there. It's another thing that the sin of us was imputed toward Christ. That means the one who was not guilty took the credit for the guilt. So if you think about that, our sin was imputed to Christ. His righteousness, listen to this, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is called imputation. My sin went to him. His righteousness comes to me. That's the beauty of the resurrection. But only if we recognize our sin on him. It'd be one thing for, for, for God just to grant the wish, get rid of all the snakes. That's what we want, right? Just get rid of all the snakes. Get rid of all the temptation. Just wipe away all my sin. It doesn't work that way. What we have to do first is to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to recognize that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And as long as we look to Jesus, our sins will be forgiven and we'll be healed. We don't just see Jesus as a... And listen, I, I believe that this is going to increase. Even people in church, we're going to keep seeing Jesus as some wounded healer, some, some moral teacher that was taken advantage of and wasn't appreciated in his day, some betrayer of a system, some pitiful scapegoat. But when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, we see the effect of the snake bite in our lives. The snakes that come into our lives as a result of our sin against God. Jesus died for us, for me, for my sin. So let's recap something quickly that I'm trying to get into our DNA. We are, God created us to be three things. We are physical life. We are emotional and mental life. That is where our uh, ambition and drive and personality and the things that we think and feel, all of that part. And then we are also spirit. Now, we're only spirit when we have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit enters into us. That's where we receive our spiritual resurrection. Now, when you, when you think about the, the emotions of a man and the physicality of a man, they work in connection with each other and both have fallen. The spirit has died, but the mind and the body are dying. But when the spirit is resurrected, it then informs the mind and the body. And we begin to change the things we do and we change the way we think. This is why we walk in the spirit. And we live in the spirit. Because it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives power to the resurrection of my dead spirit. Amen? It's very important for us to understand that. 
So they raised Jesus up on a cross because of our acknowledgement of this. We can have his imputed righteousness for our lives. Now, there are a lot of people today who thinks we just make mistakes, that we don't sin, that maybe Jesus didn't die for our sins. Jesus was just taken advantage of. And my fear is that we are reduced, we are raising humanity's value because we do not want to see ourselves as sinner in need of a savior. Because if it's that savior, I don't want him. I'd rather save myself. In other words, we can, because of Jesus, recognizing our sin and seeing Jesus lifted up. We can receive forgiveness in this life and live free. But, but that's got limitations, doesn't it? I mean, if I were to ask in here, has, any, has anyone in here ever committed a sin? Surely that's something we would all say we have in common. But if, if I can receive forgiveness for my sin, but I'm still going to die, really, truly, what's the point? I mean, no offense, I don't mean that we shouldn't try to live morally, but if I just live right and I'm sorry and I'm forgiven, but eventually I'm just going to end up in the ground anyway, what difference does it really make? This is why the cross is important. And in order to receive forgiveness, you must see Jesus lifted up. You must recognize your sin but that just gets me into the ground forgiven. I've got to see Jesus raised in another way. I've got to see this Jesus that has forgiven me that's now lying in a tomb. I need to see that Jesus raised again. Thank God for Resurrection Sunday because he gave me his resurrection. And then he put resurrection power in me. Not only did Jesus give me his cross, Jesus gave me his tomb. I don't think that's what Jesus, I don't think Jesus maybe was talking about the cross when he talked to Nicodemus. I think he was talking about another raising. But if I only have my body and my mind to deal with, and what's the point of the resurrection? If I can't live forever. If I just get raised again and then die again and then raise again and then die again, well, that's where we get reincarnation from. But the beautiful thing is, is there was also an ascension. Forty days later, Jesus raised a third time. He was raised on the cross. He was raised from the dead and he was raised from the earth. And he went to the throne room of heaven and he says, whenever you pass from this life into the real life, you'll be with me. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So now I have ultimate hope because my body is going to also experience resurrection. My spirit already has. My mind is receiving resurrection day by day, but my body too one day will be wherever Jesus is. He has resurrected every part of our existence, holistic healing, but we must keep seeing Jesus lifted up, reminding us of our sin, reminding us of our death, and reminding us of our everlasting life. That'll, that'll start putting purpose in your, in your day. 
That'll start putting meaning in your life. And you'll begin to walk different and think different and live different and talk different. And you'll start looking a lot more like Jesus than you do the Israelites. Grumbling and complaining and kicking in the dust. Jesus willingly gave himself as the perfect substitute to a snake-bitten, grumbling, complaining, dying people so that they might have eternal life in him. All right, let's look over to Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed with lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raise again. Then they remembered his words. So let me ask you, and I know I'm, I know I'm preaching to the church this morning, but I want you to really reflect on this. I want you to think deeply about this. Where is he in your life? Is he just a part of your life? Is he just a part of your story? Or are you looking to him? Are you recognizing who you are and recognizing who he is? Because everything else in your life turns to idols. I'm telling you, I don't know what it is that you're hanging on to. I don't know what it is that you're surrendering to, what it is that you're hoping to draw hope from. But if you raise it, you will worship it. Just be honest with yourself. I know we claim to be Christian, but... What I see is modern Christianity doesn't look much like Christ. And I think it's because we're raising the wrong things. We're raising church. And we look at church and we want to become more like church. But the church don't save you. The best Christians you know don't save you. Jesus saves you. Once Jesus was lifted from the earth... The Holy Spirit descended and draws people to look at the risen Jesus. Jesus. You know, Jesus, it says that that the Holy Spirit descended and it's the, the Spirit draws men. Spirit draws people, not mankind, individually. Just like the children of Israel, it would be easy for God just to cure them all, get rid of the serpents. But no, I need a mechanism where they will exercise their free will and choose to look at the serpent. Listen, you don't get saved because you go to church or because your grandfather planted one. You don't become a Christian because you know a lot of good people. You don't even know to, you don't, you don't become a Christian just because you can memorize Bible verses. You got to see Jesus. You got to be in a, in, a, in a real individual personal relationship with the one who was raised. 
Look at what Jesus does to us when we see him, lift him, raise him. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified, what? With Christ. No longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6.4, we were buried therefore with him. See there? I was crucified with him. I'm buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Do you see this? Once you say yes to Jesus and you see him, not see him too, see him only in your life, you will experience the crucifixion of Christ. All of your sin becomes his your death becomes his, your burial becomes his, everything, every pain that sin brought into your life is remedied in Jesus Christ. His sinless life is ours, his death is ours, his burial is ours, his resurrection is ours. And we have every reason to believe that he is returning and with that, his ascension will be ours as well. And we will be his and he will be ours for all eternity. Now, back to Israel. Why in this world would you not look at the serpent? <laughs> I do not understand. Why in the world wouldn't you look? Writhing in pain, Burning to death, poison in your veins. Why wouldn't you look? Pride, arrogance, stubbornness, hard-heartedness. What you raise, you worship. And we need to raise Jesus in our lives. We need to, we need to raise Jesus in our minds and our emotions God has not called us to raise to keep this symbol raised up in our life. This symbol was to point to Jesus. But rather than worshiping Jesus, they worshiped this piece of brass. Man, how many pieces of brass are in your life that you've given precious honor? Your life revolves around these pieces of brass. And let me tell you something. Your, your life is in pain and you're writhing, but you're so distracted you don't notice it. It's not that bad. Just numb it. What is it that you're burning incense to? We're desperate to have the life of Christ radiate every part of our lives. And we're dying from sin if we don't. Many are are angry at Jesus. Angry at Jesus' people. I heard just this week in an article that, that right now, if you were to claim to be a Christian, that's a form of a microaggression just to be known as a Christian. What in the world? I'm going to tell you, church, it ain't going to get better. But the ground that we've been trying to take back is not ground worth having. We need to start sowing seed into the kingdom. 
and quit trying to keep what we've had because what we had wasn't working. Many have raised the idea of Jesus. Oh, they appreciate Jesus' stuff. But when we raise and lift Jesus in every area of our life, we'll be healed. We will live. And not just in this life, not just for this day, but eternity begins the moment you see the resurrected Savior. Poles won't save you. Crosses won't save you. Empty tombs won't save you. Churches won't save you. Jesus Christ will. In fact, he already has. You just haven't looked at him. And if you don't, if you don't receive it, if you don't admit it, then you forfeit your rights to it. 850 years after the look and live scene in Numbers, Isaiah said this in Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was placed the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 700 years later, Jesus would take the punishment of the snake bite, receive our bite, our pain, our death. But because he lives again, we receive his life for now and forever. What you raise, you worship. What are you given in your life? What are you hoping for? What are you looking to heal you? Well, some that are recognizing their infirmities physically are looking to things in this life to heal them, to make them better. If you're struggling emotionally and mentally, you're looking for things in this life to make you better. But we're all struggling spiritually. What is it we're looking for? We look for all sorts of stuff. We look... Maybe people, maybe relationships, maybe a, a woman or a man. They'll complete me. They'll make me feel better. They'll remind me of how good I am or make me feel on, on my best day. Maybe it's family that we're clinging to, which is burning incense to family, burning incense to rest and, and putting a high value on if I could just get some rest, if I could just get some alone time, if I could just get... More money. If I just had more money, all my problems would go away. If I just got that job or if I had what they have, then all of my pain would go away. If I had more power and influence, I could demand more things. If people just liked me more, maybe I need to change my personality so that I will be accepted by more people. There are so many pieces of brass that we're hanging on to for healing, but yet Jesus and the Jesus' life and Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' Jesus' coming again is the only thing that doesn't lead to death. Everything else leads to death. Whatever you look to bring you life will only delay the inevitable. Jesus brings life. So look and live. That's 
That's the promise of the resurrection. All right, hard shift all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The Lord said, I will put enmity between the serpent's seed and the woman's seed, but one day I will send one from the woman's seed, and the serpent will bruise his heel. But that one will crush the serpent's head. I just want to remind you this morning that Jesus has crushed the head of the snake that bit us with victory. Why in the world would we walk around in pain and heartache and confusion and frustration and emptiness, guilt and shame and rejection and fear and disappointment that leads to grumbling and complaining and nobody's for me and everybody's against me? Why would we do that when we could just simply look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your head, close your eyes. No one looking around, and I want to ask you a question this morning. I'm really glad you're here, and I can tell you, this message, as scattered as it may be, is a message of hope. It really is, because while it may sound very heavy, the only reason that the Lord would want us to know it is so that we could embrace it. I believe that time is winding down for us to say yes to Jesus, to look to him and to live. You know, if you don't look and live, eventually you'll writhe to death. And so this morning, I want to ask if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, maybe you've never made a decision to put Jesus first, to look to him. I'm not saying that you don't believe. I'm not saying that you haven't affirmed or that you're not even a fan of Jesus. But you've never, you've never placed your hope in him. You know, in, in a lot of ways, you kind of, kind of maybe double-minded. You know, Jesus is important, but so are all these other things in my life. I want to I ask you this morning, if that's, if that's you, and you recognize that Jesus isn't, lifted up. Jesus isn't raised in your life. Will you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? I just want to I just want to be able to pray for you. I see that hand. Anybody else be honest enough just with me and say I recognize I need Jesus and he's not first in my life. I see that hand. Anybody else? That hand. Listen, I just want to pray for you. This, this message isn't against you. It's for you. Jesus is for you. You see, the Bible says that God, God's angry towards sin. But God can be angry and still love. It's hard for us to do that. But, but God can. And all of the anger of our life, all of the anger of our sin was settled on Christ. The wrath of God was settled already, so he's for you this morning. If 
fact, he's drawing you right now to say yes. Just to simply surrender to him. Confess your sin to him. Devote your life to him. (laughs) My life is valuable. (laughs) Understand the value of Christ's life. And he gives it to you. Everything you want, he gave to you. There's no, there's no loss here unless we continue to hang on to our pieces of brass. So we're going to sing. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you'd like to pray, maybe for the first time to receive Christ, we'll do that. But maybe if this morning you just want to make a decision that, man, I've lost sight. But the thing that I once looked to as healing, it's, it's lost its place. I, Jesus has missed now. i just looking at a pole in my life, looking at memories, and I'm elevating memories above Jesus, above Jesus himself. So just while the, Spirit's, while the Spirit's moving right now, I just want to encourage you in just a moment. If you'll just step out and we'll have somebody pray with you and pray for you. I just want you to live. Will you stand with me, please? Father, I pray that your spirit, you said that when you are lifted from the earth, you will draw men through your spirit. So that's what we pray for this morning, that you would draw us to your side. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, I encourage you. Why don't you just take a step? That first step is the hardest one. Just say yes to Jesus. Will you do that this morning, Chris, while we sing? not to come forward. I understand those. I understand many of those. But what I would say this morning is make sure that the invitation of the Lord continues with you and that even even while our time of invitation may end, His isn't ending. So you don't have to leave today without, I mean, if you want to talk with me privately, uh, I would love to do that. So the important thing isn't coming here. The important thing is coming here. So uh, I trust that you'll do that before, before the day is over. I'm really glad you're here.
it looks so good to see your faces. It's so good to hear your talking to each other. I am filled to overflowing, and I love you, and I'm so grateful for all of you. If you're here today again and we've not had a chance to meet, I'd love to say hello. If you'd meet me just right down here, we'll do that and then have you on your way. And I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you being here this morning. And if someone brought you, I want you to feel part of the family, and I hope that you do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together in your word. And I pray that you would continue to call, continue to reach, continue to break through our pain and allow us to see Jesus high and lifted up. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. You are dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.